Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hi, I'm Jillian Melcher, a senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum and political editor at Heat Street, and I'm your host for today's Working for Women podcast. Today, I'm here with Amy Oliver Cook, executive vice president of the Independence Institute and a member of the transition team for the EPA, and she just wrote an important article on the Hill. Um, Amy, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this important issue, uh, the case for EPA optimism. Um, I I wanted to chat with you a little bit about this because you're so involved in the transition and the reform. Um, Why weren't you optimistic before? Yeah, before, over the last eight years, for instance, and even prior to that, I would say a little bit of that uh, toward the end of the Bush administration. So really over the last decade, what we've seen coming from the EPA was sort of this either or choice was really a cynical choice. It was either you can have uh, energy development or a clean environment. You can either have affordable power or clean water. The idea was you could never have both. There was no way. They were somehow mutually exclusive of one another. If we were going to have affordable power, we were going to do it. The only way to do it was to destroy the environment. If we were, you know, going to have energy development, the only way we could do it would be by poisoning our waterways. And what I think really that one of the greatest things about the Trump campaign and then ultimately the election and now with this administration is, is the president on the campaign trail was saying, no, we, we can do we can do all of those things. We, we're Americans. We're the same people who put a man on the moon using a slide rule. Of course we can develop our natural resources responsibly and be the best stewards of our environment. It's an entirely different narrative coming out of this EPA. And Scott Pruitt even said it in his first address. He's like, yes. As an agency, as a country, we can have energy development and a pristine environment. And that is way different than the last, say, decade. So it had been a cynical place to work. It was a place that was um, reliant upon really some, um, I would say it was punitive rather than cooperative it was coercive rather than cooperative. So this is a, an entirely different shift in tone and narrative. Absolutely. Now, I, I had seen in your article, you talked about the bulk of the EPA's rulemaking machine, is how you put it, that they were pumping out almost 500 new rules per year, um, adding over 33,000 pages to the Federal Register. Um, you know, I think the left tends to, to portray this as something that, um, you know, hits big business, hits the energy industry, but it's something that hits consumers and small business as well. Can you tell me a little bit about how, how you've seen that out in Colorado? Yeah, actually, um, and there's a great case in point with that, and it really exposes what was happening over the last eight years in particular, and it is 
I, I will just bring this up. It's Colorado's methane rule. Colorado's methane rule came out of an EPA investigation that they, 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 one of our oil and gas companies was found to be leaking methane. And EPA was even using um, cameras and, and equipment that wasn't even accessible to industry. So they found that some of these that um, a producer was leaking methane out of one of its tanks. Okay, fine. Well, rather than work with this company on how to, you know, how do, how do we how do we fix this problem? They forced the company into a consent decree. In the consent decree, it said, yeah, by the way, you guys are going to be the face of these new EPA methane these new methane rules going forward, which they were. They did all of that. State of Colorado then passes these draconian methane rules, which the um, under the Obama administration, they had anticipated those methane rules would become the methane rules throughout the entire country. What they didn't count on was a Trump presidency. Elect President Trump, and he said, oh yeah, no, those will not be the methane rules for the, for the rest of the country. And so Colorado right now is the only state stuck with these rules. Now, they truly thought it was going to be nationwide, but it's not. Yeah. We have yet to see if this is going to put Colorado at a competitive disadvantage, but it is likely to do that. It will be tougher for industry and more costly for industry in Colorado to produce oil and gas than it will be for neighboring states. That's that's crazy. And I know looking into that methane rule in other states, uh, the requirements were so stringent that even national uh, national parks didn't pass muster, that even they had methane emissions that were too high. Their air wasn't clean enough, uh, though the federal government itself was advertising their pristine air. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the reforms, what we can expect to see different under Scott Pruitt. Um, I know in that address that you mentioned, he also talked a lot about a return to legality, about doing things the right way so that you didn't get sued over them like the Obama administration did. Um, practically, what is this going to look like? What does the legally operating EPA resemble? So the exciting thing about Administrator Pruitt is that he has said the EPA is going to do what the EPA was designed to do within its statutory authority. So in other words, implement through regulation the clean air and water goals as established by Congress. That's way different than what it has been before. The, the rulemaking behemoth that the EPA had become under the Obama administration was almost like quasi-legislative. They were making rules and establishing goals that it was questionable as to whether or not they even had the legal authority to do so, which is why they were being taken to court, which is why Administrator Pruitt, when he was Attorney General Pruitt, sued them 14 times. I mean, when you look at the number of rules that they actually pumped out, I was kind of laughing. I go, I can't believe he only sued them 14 times. But they were being challenged as to whether or not they actually had the authority to do that. So I think under Administrator Pruitt, what you're going to see is a is an agency, is a regulatory agency that will look at um, 
the intent of the statute that that established it what are the clean air and water goals that that congress wishes to achieve and then what is the role of and then you know make the the role of the EPA fit that i also think that states will have primacy so in other words yeah and that's something that Pruitt talked a lot about i mean he's been all about federalism and that's something that is oklahoma's attorney general he pushed home a lot um, why, why are states in the best position a lot of the time to regulate energy and environment issues? Well, so when, when the EPA was established back in 1970, no states had departments of environmental quality. Now they do. Every single state, I mean, I'm pretty sure that they do. I could be wrong if there's one that's, you know, ours was called the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, that being Colorado's. But most of them have what they call a DEQ, a Department of Environmental Quality. And, and they're the ones who are closest to their constituents. They are uniquely familiar and in the best position to make decisions about environmental uh, standards, air and water standards within their own states. Also, it gives the residents of that state, somebody to hold accountable, as opposed to it's some D.C.-centric, one-size-fits-all, and pushing that down to every single state, which makes no sense whatsoever. Colorado, Colorado, you know, our, our Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the governor, the state lawmakers, elected officials, local officials, they are in the best position. They know Colorado. They should be the one making those rules. And then the EPA should simply come in, should play a backup role. And that's really where Administrator Pruitt, I think that's one of the things that, you know, he talked about federalism, as you mentioned, but he also knew that from his own state, the state of Oklahoma, that D.C. comes in with these overreaching one-size-fits-all as if that's what's best for Oklahoma. And Administrator Pruitt would say, well, one, it's not what's best for Oklahoma, and two, it's probably not even legal. So I think you're going to see states take the lead, as they should, on most of these issues, and then EPA can come in and, and provide support or backup. And that's so important when you've got something as big as the clean power plan. If we're looking at the impact on families, you're talking about double-digit electricity rate hikes in almost every single state. And then you look at what you get for that, that enormous increase in, in rates, and it's 0 0.02 degrees Celsius by 2100. Like, you'd have to have a specialized scientific equipment to even measure that. That accountability is really important, but I, I know that we've talked a little bit about how there are also obstacles that a lot of what the Obama administration did is difficult to call back, call back and reform. So what are some of those challenges that you're facing with regulations that the Obama administration pushed through, and, and what's the strategy to work around that? Well, so some of these were are already, you know, they're being challenged in court, um, they're being... They're, they're making their way through a process. And so just depending sort of on where they are in that whole rulemaking, it's almost a Kafka-esque type of maze 
where whether if they're let me start with this if they're not listed in the federal register but it's just a proposed rule the federal register being the official sort of uh, accounting. If you if you have something in the federal register, it's much more difficult to roll it back. You have to go through a whole different procedure. But if it isn't listed, all they have to do is just say, yeah, we're not going to do that. If it's listed in the federal register, then you have to go through a new rulemaking process. Many of these things are listed in the federal register. They've gone through the rulemaking process, and now they're being litigated. So what, what the new administration could do is just say, you know what, we're not going to defend it in court. And, um, and and let it go. That they could, they could certainly do that. In some cases, they may likely have to go through a whole new rulemaking um, process, which is which they can do. But but that's timely. Uh, it, I mean, it takes a lot of time. There is something that they just announced. I think it was yesterday in November. I think it was after the election. The Obama administration, in one of their sort of midnight procedures, said asked for these disclosures on methane leaks. It's called a 114 rule, and they ask for that. They it's it's a 114 compliance report. A week into Administrator Pruitt's um, into his administration. Into him being in charge of the EPA, they've already the EPA has now come out and said, "Tell you what, all of you guys who got these requests for 114 compliance regulations, you don't have to do them, not from the federal level." So the challenges are are certainly multifold. I mean, there there are battles to be had on a whole bunch of of fronts, but I think Administrator Pruitt, just for the the role he has played in Oklahoma in all of this is the person who is, he has uh, certainly the best, he has, he has all of the intellectual tools to, to fight this, this regulatory behemoth and roll it back, just depending on where it is in the process. Now, th- this doesn't mean that states can't do it on their own, which they can if they want. But it just—it's it, just at the federal level, rolling those back will take time. But it can be done, and I—and you just saw it the other day when he said, "Don't worry about the 114 compliance requests." Great. Well, Amy, um, I, I would really encourage people to check out your piece in the Hill. It's the optimism for the EPA in the age of Trump op-ed. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I'd also encourage listeners out there to stop by our website, iwf.org, where we have podcasts, blogs, policy papers about all these issues. Well, this has been another uh, edition of IWF's Working for Women podcast. And for those who listen, thank you for your time. You can find out more about this topic and many, many more at iwf.org. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or Stop by IWF.org for similar content.